And so this morning, I'm going to read through our text, this final text of Acts. And as we did early on in Acts, um, when we stood as the word was being spoken, let's do that as we wrap it up today. I'm going to invite you, if you are able, to go ahead and stand with me as we read through Acts 28. Beginning in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rhegium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petuli. There, we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect that we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the unstoppable word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brady. So we finally arrived at the end. And we've had a lot of opportunities to speak about a lot of different things. But at the very center and behind it all is Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done and then what that accomplishes for us. We titled this entire series, Jesus Plainly Spoken. There is an absolute interest in our time to make sure that when we speak, especially important things, that we say them in a way that people can understand them 
that we don't try to um, unpurposefully complicate or cloud issues, especially important things. Um, it just seems to matter that uh, those things that matter the most are uh, understandable by not only those who are intelligent um, or those who are gifted at thinking about deep thoughts, but for everyone. And so this idea about speaking Jesus plainly has kind of at its root that no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what circumstances that you had behind you, no matter what kind of education that you've actually had, no matter if you grew up in a home that had Christian parents or not Christian parents, that the word of Jesus Christ in terms of who he is and what he has done and then what he has done, how that has shaped your life, would somehow be um, presented to you so that you could understand it and believe it. And that by believing it, you would have life. That's one way to understand that concept of plain, but the Bible uh, has a deeper way of describing it. If you have your Bibles, where well, I want to begin actually in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8. It's, it's where this word first really kind of piqued my own attention. Um, again, the, the, the Bible was written not in English. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Um, and so we have to translate that. I'm grateful for those people that have translated the Bible. We might say uh, that it was spoken so plainly, but if it hadn't been for the hard work and the dedication of so many people uh, to help me understand this, this wonderful news, this wonderful good news about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, I'm grateful for those translators. Um, and in Mark chapter 8, we see this same word that we kind of are trying to build this entire series around that we just um, are concluding today, um, where Jesus is going to speak rather plainly to his disciples. He wants them to know who he is. And, and Jesus, in terms of who he is, sometimes it's so demanding that it just keeps people at bay, hold, holds them off. That's, that's too much. I feel like who Jesus is or what Jesus wants, I feel like that's just too much. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus can't change who he is. And I'm so glad he didn't change what he did. So he comes at us full force. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he's at this time when the disciples really need to understand very clearly, very plainly, but more than that, who Jesus Christ is, and then how that's going to put a demand on their lives. So Mark records this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be rejected by them. Now again, this is such an important idea that Jesus would in fact be rejected it still is one of the greatest stumbling blocks for those people who grew up Jewish. Uh, we uh, have an opportunity to travel to Israel. We're headed back here um, next year. Um, whenever I have an opportunity to speak to those that we, that we meet, and I, I speak about who Jesus Christ is, and, and when I ask them what, what kind of keeps them from accepting Jesus Christ, uh, the one repeated phrase that I get is, I just, it's, it's almost, no, it's unthinkable for me to believe that that the one that God sent to save Israel, Israel would reject. That just doesn't make sense to me. And that's hard for these disciples to get around. They, they, don't, they don't know what to do with that. What do you mean reject? 
No, 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 no. We welcome the Messiah. No, 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 no. We actually are excited for the Messiah to come. We're not going to reject him. Why would we reject the one who's going to help us? That's a great question. Why would anyone reject someone coming from God to bring them peace? And so Jesus says, I, I need you to be aware that this is going to happen. That the Son of Man is going to be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, and by the scribes. All of those who knew better. And then be killed. And then three days rise again. And he said this to them plainly. And that word there for plainly really doesn't actually mean, and he said it in a way that they just couldn't argue. It was so clear. I mean, it is clear. But that word there actually means like he said it like courageously with boldness. He, he said it out in the open. He wasn't trying to hide this from anybody. It was the truth about who he was, and he speaks. John actually likes to use this word quite a bit. Um, Jesus spoke it out in the open where it would cost him, where others didn't like it. And Jesus spoke it to them plainly, courageously, confidently, with boldness. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see the church testifying to who Jesus Christ is. We see the apostles boldly proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, even when it's not popular, even when it means that they're going to be persecuted, even when it means they're going to be rejected, even when it means they're going to be laughed at. The apostles said, yeah, but we've got to speak the truth about who Jesus Christ is with confidence and with boldness. It's not a teaching technique to say it plainly. It's a conviction that the Holy Spirit has placed upon them. And so all through the book of Acts, Jesus is spoken about plainly. In chapter 4, we actually see the apostles as um, they're in the midst of one of their really, really difficult times. There's a couple of moments in which the apostles are arrested and put in prison. Um, we see one instance where one of them is actually beheaded. Earlier in, in the gospel, just as the, or earlier in the book of Acts, just when the, the church has been started, the disciples are arrested and they're threatened with their lives and then they're sent out. Now, I don't know about you, what you would do when your life is threatened. I, I think I, moments like that would make me wonder, am I really willing to go this far for this? And so they pray. Acts chapter 4, look at verses 29 through 31. This word, uh, plainly or boldly or courageously, confidently, is actually going to appear twice in our text. Jesus spoke the truth about himself plainly. And that that same boldness or confidence to be able to speak the truth about Jesus Christ, the disciples are going to be praying for here. In Acts chapter 4, this is a prayer that the disciples make to God. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats, and, and notice what he doesn't say, and make them go away. Look upon their threats and, and stick it to them. No. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word plainly, with all boldness, courageously, without running or hiding without just remaining silent, without taking our faith and making it personal and private. 
God, give us boldness. The same kind of boldness where Jesus spoke when it was going to cost him. The same kind of boldness that forced people to decide, to make a decision, to follow or to not, to find life or not. God, give us boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Acts 2 all over again. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God plainly. Without holding it back, without any reservation. Knowing the demands of this gospel was going to cost them, James, his own life. It's in Acts chapter 8, they're going to be persecuted and all but the apostles are going to flee Jerusalem. Why? Because they dared to speak the name of Jesus Christ plainly, with courage and boldness and confidence. And, and this is what it means to speak about him and it's important that we speak about him in this way. It's important that we trust God in the proclamation of his unstoppable gospel. It's important that you and I realize that it's the truth about Jesus Christ that changed lives, not just our own stories. It's not just about what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm really grateful for all that he has done for me, but the saving power of Jesus Christ is all that he has done. And the fact that God sent him as the one who would die in my place, as the one who would take upon himself my sin, our sin, the one that would be rejected, and the one that would be killed, and then after three days would rise again. This is the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what is happening all throughout the book of Acts. It's so easy, and I, 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 I've fallen into this trap to read the, look, read the book of Acts for like another agenda. Andrea and I were in a ministry in Illinois um, for a number of years. And while we were, while we, while, while we were in Illinois, um, uh, I decided that I was going to kind of, you know, I'm going to really make a difference. And so uh, I don't know if we were preaching through the book of Acts or not, but I just remember that I wanted for our, our church to have as their motto, discover God's gift of community. Discover God's gift of community. And I really believed that somehow that, and I read the book of Acts, and man, they were, they were gathering together, and they were just loving one another and caring. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be with other people that will just love and care for them? And I just remember thinking, man, if we can just be the church that's loving and caring, then everyone will come, right? Everyone will want to be a part of that. Who would say no to being my friend? You know what I mean? Problem is, I didn't stay there. We left. Come and enjoy God's gift of community. You guys been to church? I mean, as wonderful as the church is and as great as we are, how many of you really would say, come and discover the complicated gift of community in which there are many times in which it's pretty awesome and a lot of other times where it's just really, really difficult. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, and by the way, just enjoy one another, because are we not awesome? He says this, therefore bear with one another and forgive one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. 
That's not discover God's gift of community. It's man, the church is a, it's a, it's a, it's a collected group of very broken people. And the good news of the gospel is not the church. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to die and to save sinners, of whom we're all pretty bad, aren't we? And he has died for us. And that is what they spoke about, and that is what they preached. And listen, it was good to be a part of a community. It was good to be a place where all of the needs were being cared for. It was really, really good to have a place where everybody knew your name, and we could just share one another's burdens. Yes, all of that is true, but the church is built upon the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the unstoppable power of God. The work Jesus Christ has done. And so the Apostle Paul, everywhere he goes, finds himself when he had a moment. Can I just share with you who Jesus Christ is and what he has done? Can I have you consider for a moment the truth about who God is and the truth about who you are? If you dare to listen, if you dare to stick around long enough to hear about the incredible brokenness that exists between you and God and the incredible redemption and restoration that can come through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's the gospel. That's the unstoppable power of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul is continuing to share the unstoppable gospel. Look at how it's described in verse 23. It's like Luke can't stop it, um, can't stop describing what Paul is doing. And when they had appointed a time for him or a day for him, they came to him. This is a collection of Jewish people that had not had a chance to hear Paul. Hey, do you know about me? Because I, I, I've caused some problems, just so we're aware. Um, I'm not actually here to kind of increase the popularity. Actually, I'm a bit of a lightning rod. And so have you, we have not heard anything. Nobody has sent any letters from Judea at all. Okay. Now, by the way, you'll, you'll probably have some letters to write in a moment because I'm about to share with you some things I don't know if all of you are going to like. Boy, I sure would love to meet with you. And they appointed a day and they came to him and as lodging in great numbers. And from morning until evening, he expounded to them and he didn't testify to what Jesus Christ had done for him and I was on the Damascus road. Now, by the way, that's a part of Paul's story, but the very center that we see throughout the book of Acts, the one thing that has just never changed is who Jesus Christ is and how it was promised in the law and the prophets. So he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them. He is arguing with them. Now, now don't hear like this, this, like this, this, um, this, uh, this anger. It's, it's not that kind of arguing, but, but by the way, it could get heated. And I would even argue that most things in life probably are worth us getting a little more emotional about. And actually, there's a lot of things in life we're emotional about that really don't matter that much. I don't know if emotions are the problem. It's when we get emotional about the wrong things. He's trying to convince them. He is reasoning with them. He's showing them the Old Testament. He's showing them the law and the prophets and saying, how do you, how do you deal with this? How, let me tell you who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. He's trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses, the first five books, and from the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. Like what you really need to know is not, hi, my name is Paul. But what you really need to know is, 
is Jesus and who he is. Because apostles come and go, disciples come and go, even churches come and go. But Jesus remains the same. And the unstoppable proclamation of who he is is what Luke is all about. And so the Apostle Paul finds himself at this crossroads and, and he does what he always does is he just speaks to them very powerfully about this. I remember sitting at a moment, um, uh, kind of a few years ago, first time I was ever in Israel, we were up by Caesarea where the Apostle Paul, remember a few weeks ago, where he was sitting before Agrippa. And I, I, remember, I remember being in that place, and, and our guide tells us this most likely is the room, and you could actually still see where the fire would have been in the middle of the room. All the walls are gone. And this would have been the fire that they would have warmed themselves around, and it's probably in this room where the Apostle Paul spoke the words of who Jesus Christ is to King Agrippa. And I'm just sitting there, I mean sitting there, I mean lying there, crying, just absolutely overwhelmed. Like, this is where he did it? Like, this is where it happened? You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, and, and this is one of the real blessings, that um, getting an opportunity to go over there. We're headed back next year. Would, would love to talk with you if you're interested in being a part of that. Actually, even out in the lobby right now, we've, we've got one of our professors, um, uh, Dr. DeVise, who's uh, working as a student abroad program as well, and is headed over to Israel next year. If you want to know more about that, what is, uh, he'll be in the lobby after our services. The beauty of all of this is that it reminds us that the gospel takes place in real places with real people. It's, it's not just an argument of ideas. He is trying to convince them because the decision that they make in their time together, will set the direction for their eternity. It matters when the gospel is preached. And the decision that is made, either yay or nay, is an eternal decision. And so it's very interesting to me that Jesus makes this statement whenever he makes very, very, very clear, plain, courageous statements. He offers them in an invitational form. Matthew chapter 11, verse 35 is a phrase that Jesus gives quite a bit, actually. He would teach a truth about himself. He would say, the kingdom of God is like this treasure, and it's in a field. And if you were to stumble across it, um, you would sell everything you have so that you could have this treasure. Like you would literally look at God's rule in your life, at God's peace in your life, as God's instruction in your life, and you would say, looking at your life, there's nothing I have in my life that's worth this. Like this is more important than my marriage. This is more important than my career. This is more important than everything. This isn't something that I just fit into my life. This is something that I build my life upon. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And then he would say, and for he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, it's an amazing statement for something that's so important. I mean, wouldn't you think that Jesus would say, so you better do it. 
You hear me? You better believe. No, for he who has ears to hear, let him hear. One of the most uh, amazing aspects, I think, of, of the gospel and one of the truly wonderful thoughts that I have about God is the invitation of him to you and to I. I don't even, I can't even tell you why it is that God does this. But all throughout the Bible, like God doesn't, you might, you might think he does, but I would challenge you to go back and read it again. He doesn't really like arm twist, he presents himself. This is who I am. And Pharaoh rejected him and found out what it's like to reject him. And God sent his prophets and they spoke the truth and they killed most of the prophets. And God allowed that to happen. And then finally he sends his son. Well, they'll believe him, right? And, and Jesus comes. And for those who have ears to hear, let him hear. See, whenever the gospel is preached, whenever the truth about Jesus Christ is spoken, whenever the unstoppable power of the gospel is spoken plainly, there's an invitation. It's like the gospel is, is doing a work on us. It, it, it's, it moves around and, and there are some of us who have ears to hear, just like in Acts chapter 28, verse 24, it says this, and some were convinced by what he said. I wonder, I wonder how he did it, because wouldn't that be cool if we could learn how to make people believe? <laughs> That is, so, that is so typical of us. We actually believe it's a technique. Like maybe if I, I don't know, maybe if I had a really good illustration. Maybe if I had a really good offer at the end. Maybe if I... And actually what we find is that that really doesn't believe much about the gospel. There's a famous statement, most, most ministers know about it, it says what we win people with is what we win them to. I tried community in Illinois, and, not Andrea, I tried community, I tried to offer them friendship, nothing wrong with friendship. See, I would have people that would come into my office and they would be really, really broken and they would need help in their marriage and man, Jesus is awesome for that. Or they'd have like financial problems. Man, Jesus is such a great financial counselor. I'm really just in serious, serious trouble with, with, uh, with, with, with my job. And man, Jesus is like a, one of the best job counselors you'll ever meet. Or um, like my mom is sick. And uh, the doctor says there's not much we can do. Man, Jesus can make that better. And again, instead of just Jesus being the one that we trust at all times and in all things and the one that we build our life on, he just becomes one more thing to be used to get what we really want. And that's never Jesus. And that's why he comes in the invitation. For he who has ears to hear, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's interesting that this is actually the repeated statement that's found to all seven churches in the book of Revelation. 
All of them as they describe that God knows who we are, God sees how we live, and then there's this invitation. And for those churches, for those people in those churches that have an ear to hear, let them hear what? That Jesus is better than. That Jesus is the only way to God. That Jesus is the only one that brings peace. That Jesus is just worth it. And that salvation comes through him and him alone. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. It is the good news that the Apostle Paul brings forward about this kingdom that is coming and that you and I, by invitation, find something in Jesus to then build all of our lives and all of our careers and all of our finances completely surrendered to who Jesus Christ is. And instead of him becoming one more idol or one more trick or one more technique, instead, for those of us that just find in Jesus Christ All that we're looking for. And the Apostle Paul, after he has spoken, there were some that were convinced. And they found life. And they found peace. And God was true to his word. That the truth of him would be spoken and that there would be a few. I love this. Jesus made it very clear. And that there would be a few who would believe. And what do they receive? Here's what's very interesting. I found one other use of this word about plainly or confidence or with boldness, but it's in a very different context, Um, but I I think it'll bring you great joy this morning. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. This is interesting. The disciples are praying, God, give us boldness so we can speak clearly and plainly with courage who Jesus Christ is. Will you give us that kind of confidence, not in ourselves, but in the words that we are speaking? God, will you give us the ability to speak boldly about who Jesus Christ is? And here's what the Bible actually teaches. Those who speak boldly about Jesus are gifted to speak boldly to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Look at this verse. The Hebrew writer says, let us then, because of what Jesus Christ has done, let us then, because of the hope that we have now placed in Jesus Christ, let us then with confidence, that's the same word, let us then boldly, with great courage, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Isn't that interesting? The same boldness that the disciples pray for, that the apostle exhibits, is the same kind of boldness that allows them to stand before the throne of grace and trust in God's grace and trust in God's forgiveness. See, that's why they're bold. That's why they're confident. Because God is for me, and if God is for me, then what? Who can stand against me? Like, But they're not all going to listen to you. They don't all have to listen to me. That's the good part of God's word. Yeah, but you know that they could reject you. Yeah, like I've heard that actually. And the one I'm about to finish talking about, they rejected him too. They could take everything from you. No, they can't. They can't take everything from me. Because the greatest thing that I have has been stored up for me in heaven and I approach the throne of grace boldly now. Wow, 
to approach God's throne boldly. You've got to be absolutely out of your mind or completely in your right mind in Christ. And I would argue those that are just out of their mind wouldn't even get close enough for it to matter. But as Paul is telling his story from morning until evening about who Jesus Christ is, there are those who refuse to hear. And I think it's important that we're aware of that and that we understand that it's, it's, not, like a, it's not a gimmick, it's not a trick, it's not just follow the bouncing ball. That in the end, the gospel is doing a work on us and in us and through us. It is evaluating our hearts. In Acts chapter 28, verse 26, this is what the apostle Paul is going to say to them. And by the way, he's just quoting what Jesus said to the people that were rejecting him in Matthew 13. And, and, and Jesus was just quoting what Isaiah was told. Isaiah sees God in his heavenly splendor, and he says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I will go, I will go. And God says, then go. Are they going to listen to me? No, they're probably not going to listen at all. Like, they're not going to listen. They're going to say that they see, but they don't really see. They're going to say that they hear, but they don't really hear. There's a lot of superficial spirituality out there. There's a lot of fake and, and, and counterfeit alternatives to the true understanding and obedience to the gospel. Indeed, the Apostle Paul had his greatest frustration with those who felt like through obedience to the law, they could somehow have standing or confidence to stand before God. And the Apostle Paul is letting them know, no, it is by faith in Christ that a person is declared righteous. And so Paul says to them what Jesus and Isaiah said before, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but you will never perceive. And so the gospel right there while Paul is under house arrest continues to do it work sorting people. Goat, 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 sheep, goat, sheep, goat, 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 goat. Wow, there's a lot of goats. Sheep. And the Apostle Paul's not just preaching for the sheep. And he's not just preaching for the goats. He is preaching the unstoppable power of the gospel to them all. And trust God to do his work. Because why? The gospel cannot be stopped. I found a really very interesting thing. And maybe it was because it really perked my attention. Andrea and I happened to be in this area. This area right here, Naples. Remember Naples, Andrea, not that long ago? We were in Italy with our son and his wife and our granddaughter as we traveled down from Poland just to get away and to spend a little bit of time. I'd never been to this part of the world or this part of the, the, that, of, uh, of, uh, the, the country of Italy. Actually, I'd never been to Italy before. And we landed in Naples, and it's this port city. And that's where it's described in verses 13 and 14. Here's what Luke says. And from there we made a circuit and we arrived at Regium. And after one day of a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Petulio, or Petulo, Petuoli, Petuoli, and there we found brothers. Petuoli is actually where the, the, the port city of Naples is now currently. And look at verse 14. And there we found brothers 
and were invited to stay with them for seven days. I love how the Apostle Paul, and I think he's very aware of this, um, the amount of churches that he planted and the amount of work that he did, um, if you ever wonder, wow, he, I wonder if that ever went to his head. <laughs> I love the fact that he gets all the way to Italy and there's already a church there. You know, when, when Jay and Caitlin arrived in, in, uh, in Japan, there was already church work there. And interestingly enough, that when he gets there, they're invited to stay with them for seven days. And they hey, Paul, come on, no, let, let us take care of you, Paul. I know you've had a hard time. Let us take care of you, Paul. And he's cared for there. Is that not an amazing picture? Just when you kind of think or can get ever, like, seduced into believing that it's all about what the Apostle Paul is doing, or just in case you and I ever think it's, it's about what we're doing here at Sunnybrook and the amazing things that we're doing, and then all of a sudden we realize, wow, there is stuff happening, there is stuff going on, there are things that started long before we got here, there's stuff that's going to happen long after we leave. And the Apostle Paul arrives in Italy, and there are some Christians saying, hey, welcome. You know, no, we know about Jesus. Isn't he awesome? See, the Apostle Paul is going to come to the end of his life. The end of the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in prison. Now, you might say, wow, that's kind of anticlimactic, right? Well, no, actually, no. It's actually very, it's, it's very appropriate because the book of Acts isn't about Paul. It's not about him at all. Like, he's, he's, one, he's one that God invited in. He's one who had ears to hear. And that God used him in a powerful way to make a difference. But the book of Acts, if you'd look at it and just go, wow, this is so sad. The Apostle Paul is there under house arrest. And, and, and that's how it ends? Oh, no, no, no. Like, it's still being written. Look at how it ends. And he lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. That's that same word there, plainly, and without hindrance. Yeah, you can take the Apostle Paul, you can stick him in prison. He'll probably get out, and he'll travel to Spain, and then he'll, get, he'll come back to Rome, he'll get captured, and he'll get executed, and he'll die. And he will receive his reward of going and being with Jesus. And then the gospel will continue. Because it's not about him. It's about Jesus and who he is. And I'm so grateful for that. Because as far as I know, um, it probably was not the Apostle Paul who saved the one 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 who helped my dad come to faith. Who helped me come to faith. It was probably some unnamed person. Have you ever thought about what your spiritual lineage looks like? This is kind of what we're doing in the lobby. We thought it would be good for us to end this series on the book of Acts by um, remembering where it was that we gave our lives to Jesus Christ and then beginning to trace that back a little bit. It's going to be up for a couple of weeks, and so I'm going to tell you about it now, and on the way out, I would love for you to begin the journey, but basically there's three colored dots that are on those maps. The, the blue dots represent where I gave my life to Christ. If you look on the side of America, although you've got to go a little north of America, uh, there's a small little town north of Toronto called Barrie, and that is where I gave my life to Christ. 
But that happened because someone shared the gospel with me, and, and my father was probably one of the greatest spiritual influences on my life. He's the one that baptized me. And so I got to call him this week, Dad, I, I knew the place. Where were you baptized? Halifax, Nova Scotia. If you go around to the other side, because Halifax isn't on the American side, you'll actually see like there is a green dot in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I did not know this. I found out this week. I called my dad. Dad, tell me about your conversion. And he retold me the story and said, baptized in a barrel by a charismatic preacher. I can't imagine that to save my life. But it was fun to think about because it saved his. Dad, there's not a chance you know the one who baptized him, do you? I don't even remember his name. Okay. But over the next few days and weeks and months, would love to just kind of trace. This is where it began, and this is where it was before there, and, and this is where it even was before there. And for us as a community of faith to just see that the work that we do just keeps going forward. Why? Because it's not our work. It's God's great work through us. And it's not about us. It's about who? It's about Jesus. So this morning, as, as we close, as we prepare to go around the, the Lord's table, as we prepare to pray for the gospel to continue to be spread, I want to leave us with some thoughts, reflecting on the unstoppable power of the gospel. At the end of first service, I had a young lady named Shannon come up to me, and tears just streaming down her face, and she said this, can I be saved? You're asking me? Oh, yes, Shannon. Oh, Yes. I can't wait to see where that goes. <laughs> Being grateful that the gospel saved you. Do you remember what it was like when you accepted that? I want us to spend some time just giving thanks to God for that and just reflecting on the unstoppable power of the gospel, just reflecting on the responsibility and the opportunity that you and I have been given to share that with those. Maybe close or far away. The gospel of God cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. But you and I, by God's grace and for his glory, have been blessed, invited to be a part of it.